This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It is 1208. We're so glad to have you with us. We are taking the program on the road. We're in the 620 WTMJ mobile studio. I call it the big talking box. We are at VMP Healthcare and Community Living. We're on South 84th Street in West Dallas. This is all part of our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign, and we're inviting you to join with us and our friends at the Salvation Army and our friends at VMP Healthcare and Capco Metal Stamping to help collect toys for children throughout Southeast Wisconsin for the holiday season. This is, of course, our 12th annual Kids to Kids Toy Drive. Since it started, the program has collected 160,000 toys, and this year our goal is to collect another another 20,000 toys. I have been coming out to this event for more years than I can remember. I have to tell you, today is absolutely the nicest day. Um, you know, we, we always appreciate everything that's going on, but today we've got all these children that are here. We've got all these volunteers. People are walking up. People are driving up with toys. We have got school buses full of kids that are pulling up. Right now we've got 50 kids. I'm looking at a school bus, 50 kids from Hoover Elementary, 11 members of Boy Scout Troop 594, the Reagan High School, the drum line has been playing, 38 kids from Jefferson Elementary and 15 students from Frank Lloyd Wright. All sorts of kids are going to be coming through. We've got a petting zoo they've got a llama come on out and see a llama but drop off the toys and lots of stuff going on they have sort of a winter wonderland and trust me though i walked through the winter wonderland it is just as enjoyable perhaps more enjoyable at 45 or 50 degrees than it is at 20 degrees with a 30 mile an hour wind out of the northwest we've got all sorts of mascots that are here they've got hot dogs and chips and lunch and ah, all sorts of great stuff but again it's all for kids to kids christmas so stop off if you're coming by please wave hi again we're broadcasting live from the event. Um, a lot of great stuff going on. The West Dallas Fire Department is here. Our friends at Bell Ambulance are going to be here a little bit later. Big doings here, and it's all for Kids to Kids Christmas, so we hope to see you sometime during the course of the afternoon. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Story number one. It is nothing short of an outrage. Last night, and by the way, we will talk about the Michael Flynn charges in just a couple minutes, but I want to start off with a story that has had my blood boiling since the news broke last night. This is, of course, the 30-year-old, 32-year-old woman, Kate Steinle, who was murdered, murdered by an illegal alien, somebody who had been deported five or six times, who was back in the country illegally, who had been arrested on drug charges by San Francisco authorities and had been turned loose. San Francisco, a sanctuary city, decided they were not going to cooperate with federal authorities. And even though this loser criminal had been deported on multiple occasions, even though he was charged with a crime, they let him loose. So what happens is one evening... Kate Steinle, this 32-year-old woman who had just recently moved to the San Francisco area, she is strolling along Pier 14 in San Francisco, July 1st of 2015, when she is shot in the back and killed. She's walking with her father. Turns out the shot was fired by this illegal alien, Jose Garcia Zarate. All right? Zarate, after he shoots her, 
throws the gun into San Francisco Bay in an effort to hide it. They end up catching him. He ultimately issues a confession, but um, in part of the confession, he uh, gives a series of lies. First of all, he denies being there. Then, well, I was there, and it was ultimately an accident, etc., etc., etc. But the overriding point is he shouldn't have been out on the street in the first place, but he was. So the case goes to a jury trial. This is, of course, San Francisco. You have the defense attorneys who try to politicize this. His defense is, yes, I killed her. Yes, it was, um, I, I'm a felon. I shouldn't have a gun, and I shouldn't have been in this country. But it, it just went off accidentally. How he explains throwing the gun into the bay and all that stuff, well, you know, I don't know. But regardless... After six days of deliberations, the clucks, yes, I said that, the clucks on this jury decide to find this man not guilty, buying his argument that this was nothing but an accident. He does get convicted of being a felon in possession of a gun, so he's looking at maybe two, two and a half years in prison, and then presumably deportation after that. Now, whether that'll keep him out of the country for very long is a whole other issue. The president is outraged. The vice president is outraged. The attorney general is outraged. And almost, I think, everybody that has any sort of sense of decency should, in fact, be outraged over this lack of justice with this bizarre verdict. I don't want to talk about the verdict, though. Because you can't undo that. We cannot bring this woman back. You can't say, what were these 12 people thinking when they decided to allow this murderer loose? And I believe in the jury system, but the reality is there's sometimes it doesn't work, and this is a situation where it didn't work. But that's not what I want to discuss. I want to discuss the larger position of the whole issue of immigration. I think it is nothing short of insane. And yes, that is the word I use, insane. That you have somebody who is in this country illegally, who is caught, charged with a crime, that any judge anywhere in this country would turn that person loose without giving immigration authorities a chance to come in, pick them up, and put them on a hold. If... If this particular illegal alien, who had been deported five times before, who had a lengthy criminal record, if he had been held in the custody of federal officials, that woman would be alive today. Now, is it outrageous that he's been found not guilty? Yes, it is outrageous. But that's not the bigger point. The larger outrage is, as a result of this, a young woman is dead. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If anybody has any question about this whole concept of sanctuary cities and whether or not local officials should have an obligation to cooperate with federal authorities, and if they don't cooperate with federal authorities, I think lose all federal money, here's what needs to be introduced tomorrow in Congress. I think you need to pass a law, let's call it the Kate Steinle Law, and the law says that any community, city of Milwaukee, county of Milwaukee, city of San Francisco, city of Los Angeles, whatever, that declares itself to be a sanctuary city that refuses or declines to cooperate fully with federal immigration officials should lose every dime of federal funding they get. 414-799-1620. That is the best thing we could do to right this injustice and maybe maybe say that this woman was not murdered, and yes, she was murdered, in vain. 414-799-1620 is a time once and for all to say if you do not, if your city 
And again, I don't care if it's Madison or Milwaukee or San Francisco or wherever. If your city does not comply and cooperate fully and completely with federal immigration authorities, including promptly notifying them every time an illegal alien is charged with a crime and comes into their jail, if they don't do that, I think that immediately they should lose federal funds. And I'm not just talking about small federal law enforcement funds. I'm talking about losing federal funding, period. That will require them essentially to cooperate. 414-799-1620, that is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line, is a time once and for all to say enough is enough when it comes to illegal aliens coming into this country, committing crimes, and then being turned loose to commit more crimes. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1217. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from our Kids to Kids Christmas Display, VMP Healthcare, and Community Living on South 84th Street in West Dallas. Stick around. It's 1220, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Again, we are at the VMP Healthcare and Community Living on South 84th Street in West Dallas. Kids to Kids Christmas. People have been incredibly generous. There is just... There's an amazing amount of toys that are lined up already, and we've really just started our effort. If you are in the neighborhood, please stop by. It's a circular drive. We make it really easy, but it'd also be kind of cool. Park and check it, take out, take advantage of this uh, winter wonderland that they have set up. And I will tell you, it's still just as cool, even though it's 50 degrees outside. And from the perspective of, you know, many of us and many of the volunteers out here, I, I think they're going to live with this. Lots of activities that are going on. A petting zoo. We've got mascots. All sorts of great stuff. But our goal is to collect toys. That is number one. All right. Big things. Three big things. Number one, this outrageous decision by a jury last night to essentially allow the murderer of Kate Steinle to go free. Now, that, that that's an outrage. But the truth of the matter is whether the jury had convicted this illegal alien of the murder or not, the reality is this young woman was dead. So what the question to me is, is what can you take of this? What positive thing can you have from this? Now, unfortunately, the the murderer, he's not going to be doing anywhere near as much time as he should be doing. But that doesn't make any difference, really, I guess. The big picture is, how do we stop this from happening again? And the way we stop it is simple. We say no to sanctuary cities. We say no to the self-righteous people who decide, well, we don't like federal immigration law, and we don't think we should cooperate with federal immigration law, so we're going to reach situations where we have somebody who's dangerous, who's been deported four, five, six times, He's been charged with another crime, and we're going to send him loose, and we're not going to cooperate, and we're not going to promptly notify immigration. We're just going to send this person back out on the streets. Everybody in San Francisco connected with this case has blood on their hands. And this can happen in Milwaukee as well. It can happen in Madison as well. It is just a matter of time. Now, I understand that the definition of sanctuary cities changes from place to place. But here's the bottom line of this. And you're going to need legislation that will make it happen. There needs to be a federal law that says very, very clearly, if you as a city, a municipality, a county, with law enforcement responsibility, 
do not cooperate, do not promptly notify federal immigration officials when somebody comes into your jail who is subject to deportation. If you don't promptly notify of, them that, of that fact, there is going to be a consequence, and the consequence is you lose federal funding. As a result, trust me, you do something like that. And even though you'll have some of the people wringing their hands and you'll have some of the illegal alien rights groups upset, bottom line is if you threaten to take away funding, and I'm not just talking about law enforcement funding, I'm talking about funding, period, I guarantee you people will comply, and I guarantee you people like Kate Steinle will not die. If we do not do something, they will continue to die in the future. That's the lesson. All right, that's big story number one. Big story number two coming up. Who in the world steals a Salvation Army red kettle? Well, they've got a photograph of that person. We're going to talk about what happens next. Stick around. It's 1223. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from VMP Healthcare and Community Living as part of Kids to Kids Christmas. It's 1225. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Big story number two. What kind of jack wagon steals a Salvation Army red kettle? Now, let me back into this story. I happen to have this belief that there is heaven and there is the other place. And I've kind of used this analogy before. I, I don't know if there's actually a St. Peter standing at the, ga- at, the, at the pearly gates, but I, I like to think of that. And I kind of have this image that, you know, when you're standing in front of the pearly gates, there's this, there's this book and they kind of look through your life, and there's different days. And, you know, look, we, we, we all are going to have some black marks in that book, and we're going to have some positive marks in the book as well. I, I realize that. I guess I have that image, and if it ever occurred to me to go out and commit crimes, I, I'd always be thinking of that. Well, here's apparently what happened yesterday. You have one of the bell ringers who's out raising dough for the Salvation Army. So Wednesday night, about 5 o'clock, there's a guy... He, he's working um, at the Pick and Save on 74th and Good Hope Road. You know, red kettle, ringing the bell, things like that. Apparently what happens is guy comes up to him and says, hey, you know, the, the security guards inside the store need to talk to you for a minute. And they said it's kind of an emergency. So the guy says, okay. He leaves the kettle for a few minutes, runs in to find security. When he's inside... These thieves, they steal the stand, the sign, the red kettle containing, you know, who knows how much money. Now, the red kettle drive by the Salvation Army, I mean, it pays for summer meals programs for kids and coats for kids and the Christmas family feast and their backpack and school supply program. So this is their big fundraising thing when they do this. So you have these three guys that apparently say to the man who's collecting money, here, you got to run into the store and talk to people. He does. They steal. They steal it. Who steals a Salvation Army kettle? Well, okay, we know who steals it. The people in Milwaukee who are the same ones who go up and steal the porch pirates who steal your packages as soon as the UPS driver delivers the Christmas presents who steal that. The people who steal in Milwaukee who steal your car if you leave it unattended for a couple minutes. The people who break into your car if it's sitting in the driveway use the... um, garage door opener, get into your house and steal stuff from your house. Again, just another day in Milwaukee. But who steals Red Salvation Army kettles? And I guess the bottom line of this is in this, I, I, will they catch them? 
maybe because again they've got a surveillance camera photo of this guy so at least you, you'll probably know the one who actually stole it what will happen well if they catch him of course it goes to the DA's office and then it goes to a judge and it'll be turned loose of course so there's probably going to be very little consequence to that but I guess my sense of overall justice is at some point in time I believe again we're all held accountable and I don't know about you but when that judgment day comes I don't want to be standing there in front of the pearly gates, and I don't want to have St. Peter looking through that giant book and going, okay, all right, here's what you did here, this, that, and the other thing. Oh, on November 29th, you are the guy that ended up lying to the Salvation Army bell ringer and then stealing the Salvation Army red kettle of all the money that was supposed to go to help kids and feed people at Christmas. I don't know about you, but see, there's some things I think I can probably explain to to St. Peter. I don't want to be that guy having to explain that I was the guy that stole that red kettle. To me, that's where the floor drops out. The elevator goes straight down to you-know-where. And you know what? The people that did this... That's exactly where they end up belonging. I hope they catch them. I hope they get the book thrown at them. I hope we start to realize larger picture in all seriousness that you know we are plagued with crime in this community. And it, it's really it's a relatively small number of people. But it is one thing, for example, I think that Ed Flynn and I do agree on, the Milwaukee police chief, is that you have a repeat number of criminals who are out there committing crime after crime. I don't think I'm going out on a limb too much and saying that these people that stole the Salvation Army kettle, what do you want to bet that each and every one of them has a criminal record as long as your arm? And the bottom line of all this is, you know, when you catch them, instead of coddling them, we should send them to prison. When we catch these thieves, we should realize that this is not just some minor property crime, whether they're stealing your car or stealing your packages or stealing a Salvation Army kettle. Let's get serious once and for all, start locking up the criminals and at least maybe make it safe for the rest of us to be around. All right, when we come back, big story number three, Michael Flynn cuts a plea deal. What does this mean for President Trump? I think some people are overanalyzing this, but we will discuss. It's 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We are broadcasting live from VMP Healthcare and Community Living um, in West Allis, right off of South 84th Street. Um, we have a ton of kids here. This is, of course, part of our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign, and lots of people stopping by and dropping off new unwrapped toys. Kind of looks like a giant toy store as I look across the, the way at this. But the folks at uh, VMP Healthcare and Community Living have set up a uh, winter wonderland. They've got all sorts of different kind of fun displays. We have folks from Bell Ambulance and the West Dallas Fire Department here, um, Salvation Army mascots and things of the like. We've got a petting zoo that people are enjoying. We've got horse-drawn carriage rides i gotta take one of those and we have beautiful weather so if you're in the neighborhood stop by and we do ask you bring a new unwrapped toy drop it off what we end up doing is together with our friends at capco all these toys get first of all taken to capco for um the the big event which comes up on saturday december 16th i'm going to be there where we assemble like all the toys and then they go to the salvation army and the salvation army sets up a toy store what they essentially do and um, less privileged people can come in and they get vouchers and they can essentially go shopping. And the idea is through your generosity, um, in the spirit of the holidays, you can make the holidays a little bit brighter for an, uh, somebody who perhaps is less fortunate. So it's a wonderful event. So we appreciate it uh, greatly. All right. 
Story number three. Former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn has um, pled, is going to be pleading guilty to a one-count information. He's cut a plea deal with the special prosecutor, Robert Mueller, and the reports are that he has agreed to cooperate. Now, everybody's salivating, oh, this means it's going to be the end of the Trump administration. Well, okay, not not so fast. Um, Here here is the deal. Michael Flynn, who was... Uh, let me let me go through the timeline of what happened because I think that's important to put things into context. Um, President Trump elected early November of 2016. All right, he doesn't get sworn in until January 20th of this year. So you have that that two plus month window where you are putting together your team, and you're getting ready to take over to take office. All right, so that's kind of the backdrop of this. And Flynn is part of the Trump team. Flynn is tabbed to be the national security advisor. But he's part of the Trump transition team as well. Well, you will remember that there were all sorts of allegations of, you know, Russian meddling in last year's election. And what happened is, you know, President Obama in December came out and said that he thought that um, he believed that the Russian government at the highest levels initiated hacks of of emails, and he's going to retaliate with that. In response, President-elect Trump, now this is late December, says, well, look, I, I know... Obama's talking about sanctions, but I I think, you know, there's more important things. I think we need to get on with our lives. So President Trump, who's going to be taking over in less than a month, um, back in late December, he's saying, hey, look, I don't, um, I, I just don't think this is the way to go. Well, on December 29th of last year, President Obama announces Russian sanctions. They include expelling 35 Russian diplomats, closing Russian compounds in Maryland and New York that had been suspected uh, of spying. Okay, so he he says these are the sanctions that I am going to have. Uh, President-elect Trump says, okay, well, I'm going to meet with intelligence people for a briefing, but I think this issue should be put to bed. I think it's time for our country to move on to bigger and, and better things. All right, so that's the backdrop of this. Apparently what happened is after President Obama had announced these sanctions, there was a meeting between Michael Flynn, who was going to be tabbed to be the national security advisor, and the Russian ambassador. And Flynn essentially says to the Russian ambassador, uh, look, don't overreact to these to these sanctions. Don't don't overreact. There's going to be a new sheriff in town, I'm paraphrasing. You know, President Trump is going to be taking over in January. There's going to be a new sanction. There's going to be a new sheriff. We're going to take another look at this stuff. Don't overreact. And apparently um, there is some suggestion that based on those assurances, Russia didn't um, retaliate like they otherwise might have. All right. So that's the backdrop. That's what happened here. The FBI starts investigating Russian influence in the elections the election process, and they sit Flynn down, and they ask him, hey, have you had any contact with the Russian ambassador or any Russians? And he lies to them, and he doesn't disclose what happened here. He doesn't disclose that, hey, I met with the ambassador, and, and yeah, we, we talked about the sanctions. He lies about that. Why he lied about it, who knows, but he lies about that. 
So that's the basis of this charge. It has nothing to do with, again, Russian election tampering. It's a lying to the FBI charge, an obstruction of justice charge, based on his being untruthful in connection with, you know, denying that he had this meeting. Now, it's really interesting because it's very, very unclear whether there's anything improper about this meeting. I mean, again, you've got something called the Logan Act, which goes back to 1798. And I believe I can say this without fear of contradiction. I don't, I'm not sure if I can say that nobody's ever been charged. I don't think anybody's ever been convicted under the Logan Act. But the Logan Act um, uh, makes it unlawful for private citizens to essentially engage in foreign policy. That's that's what it does. Nobody has ever been convicted of that since 1798. So I don't know. I am not at all convinced that what he did in and of itself, if he had just come out and said, yeah, I met with the Russian ambassador. President Trump was taken over in three weeks. We were starting to um, develop relationships, um, and we were talking prospectively about you know what was going to happen in a, in a few weeks. I'm not sure at all that that is a crime. But nevertheless, he lied about that meeting to the FBI, and that in and of itself does create a crime. So now there's all sorts of people who are sitting there, and they're excited. It's, okay, well, he's entered this guilty plea, and he's presumably going to be cooperating, and and maybe this guy is going to have the information that brings the Trump administration down. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand for the Trump haters out there that this is going to be red meat, and it's certainly never good to have people that you appoint to your administration who worked on your campaign get named at the top of a federal indictment or an information and end up pleading guilty to, again, lying to the FBI. I just look at all this, and I continue to believe that unless there is some smoking gun unless there is some evidence that actively shows that there was an involvement, really actually pre-election, between members of the Trump campaign and the Russian government with the idea of hacking or whatever to try to get Trump elected. Absent that smoking gun, I still don't see this going anywhere, which isn't to say that it's not politically embarrassing and, um, again, again, perhaps concerning, but... Simply the fact that, yes, he lied about meeting with this ambassador. And I'm not trying to be a Trump apologist or a Trump defender. I'm just saying I look at this, and I still don't see how this brings this administration down. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this the smoking gun that is going to bring down the Trump administration? Or is it just, again, a situation where... Somebody has engaged in some bad behavior and some stupid behavior, and it's embarrassing, but it's not going to ultimately go anywhere. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? Is this the beginning of the end for the Trump administration? I wouldn't go that far this fast, but we'll discuss. 414-799-1620 is the number. It's 1244. We'll talk about this when we come back. Once again, Kids to Kids Christmas, we're on the road. VMP Healthcare and Community Living on South 84th Street. Car just pulled up, people dropping off toys. We appreciate it. 
247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from BMP Healthcare and Community Living as part of Kids to Kids Christmas. All right, the big news today is former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn pleads guilty to a one to one felony count of lying to the FBI. The lie was apparently he met with late December, shortly after intercept, shortly after President Obama said that there's going to be sanctions against Russia for meddling in the November election process. Um, he met with them, and he said, hey, look, you know, President Trump's going to be taking over in a few weeks. Don't overreact to this. That then, when he was talked to about by the F, about it by the FBI, he denied having that meeting or saying those type of things, and that is the basis for his felony conviction. People think that this is going to be the end of the road for President Trump. I don't think so. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dick in Sheboygan. Dick, you're first. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, this they talked to him after the election was completed. Their investigation was prior to the election. And he did not lie to them in that respect. Therefore, there should be no charges against him. Right. Well, why this is, it, it, right. It why does is he show the, him afterwards. Well, because I mean, well, I mean, he right. They they were not apparently they were not limiting their inquiries to stuff that happened prior to the election. Um, but yeah, um, right. I mean, that's what the investigation was supposed to be about. You know, what did Russia do beforehand? I mean, I, I did this. Like I say the Logan Act, which is what they're looking at. It, it's been on the books since 1798. It's never ever resulted in a conviction. And I guess I just kind of look at this and I say, okay, let's put aside the lying. Let, let's put aside the false statement. All right, you've got the president-elect coming in. He's assembling his team. He's reaching out to foreign governments so he can hit the ground running. How how that could be the basis of a criminal charge against somebody is beyond me. That's my contention yep. also, that you know they were looking for what he did before the election, and that wasn't before the election. Right. As you say, right. They, they expanded it, whether they were supposed to or not. That's, you know, that's another matter. Right. No, exactly. Thanks for the call, Dick. I mean, that that's, that's the factor. Let's talk to Charlotte, who's calling us from northern Illinois. Charlotte, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Good afternoon. Didn't Trump and uh, the vice president-elect uh, do the right thing by firing Flynn when, right. when they heard about this? And as far as individuals carrying on foreign policy, don't you have Jesse Jackson or... Who's that Bulls basketball player going to North Korea? Dennis Rodman, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, well, that, that's why, that's why, as I start off the conversation by saying, Trout, there's never, never been any conviction under this Logan Act since it was put on the books in 1798. And, and I guess I look at this and I think, okay, the, the president-elect is putting together his team. You are reaching out to foreign governments. You're already elected. You're taking over a couple in a couple weeks, and you're saying, okay, th- I would be shocked if you didn't have you know your people meeting with foreign governments, talking about what your relationship is going to be like moving forward. And if if it is criminal to say, hey, don't overreact to these sanctions. We're going to take another look at them in a couple weeks. My my goodness, uh, what? How many other people should be in jail for doing similar sorts of things? Uh, I I agree. I agree. Yeah, um, and you're right. He fired, and, and right, and then then 
I mean, President Trump fired Flynn for not being forthcoming to him about the meetings. Now, obviously, what what Mueller is going to hope is that Flynn is going to say, no, I did all this at the behest of of President Trump and, and maybe other sorts of things. So who knows exactly what he's going to say? But that certainly hasn't been his position thus far. And I just I just don't see this leading to back to Trump. I just don't. Are you troubled by all these leaks coming down? Uh, oh, sure. About oh yeah, that's illegal in itself. It, you know, when an investigation is going on. To oh well, all right. All right. No, it it, it is it. No, thanks. For, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it just it just is what it is. Now, look, and again, I don't want to come across as an apologist for lying to the FBI. I I do not know why Michael Flynn made the decision not to be completely forthcoming with the FBI about various meetings and things like that. That's just it. Just that it, that is bizarre to me. But nevertheless, um, you know, he, he apparently did. Now, there's all sorts of other elements that you have to prove. You know, was it material, etc. The reports that are coming out is saying that, that that he was just being worn down. That you know, his legal expenses were like through the roof, and he just decided to end up cutting cutting a deal. I guess it, maybe he's got all sorts of incriminating information that he hasn't shared before. But you know, his previous public statements have essentially been nothing to see here. I'm sure he feels perhaps cut adrift by the Trump administration in some respects. But again, I I just don't see this leading to a I don't see this leading to a, a criminal prosecution unless there's other people that again have made false statements. And keep in mind, in some respects, this is like Watergate because Watergate was about you know first it was the burglary, but I mean. President Nixon didn't authorize the burglary. President Nixon found out about the burglary and covered it up. It was the lying that does you in, and this is perhaps one of those examples. Nevertheless, I mean, it's not a good day for the Trump administration. There's no way you can sugarcoat that. But for everybody who thinks, okay, this is automatically going to be the end of it, this is going to be the end of the Trump presidency, I just don't see that as it, I don't see that going, going on that way. Um, it's 12.53. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 12.56. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Once again, all day we're going to be broadcasting from VMP Healthcare and Community Living, South 84th Street in West Dallas. as part of our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. People are stopping by and dropping off toys. We've got a number of schools here now. Uh, Grace Christian Academy has 30 students. We've got rides with the horse-drawn carriage, and we've got the petting zoo, and we've got a drum line, and all sorts of great stuff going on. And, of course, we've got a huge display of toys as part of their winter and Christmas or holiday wonderland. Um, everybody having a great time. Stop off. I'll be here till 3 o'clock, and then John McCure and Melissa Barkley will be here from 3 until 6. Well, y- you know, there's, every once in a while, you got to just smile and give people you got to give people credit for gumption. Now, the big media story this week, of course, is Matt Lauer out on his butt. I have talked about this for the last couple of days, and my take isn't, you know, is Matt Lauer a sexual harasser? It apparently pl- appears that that's pretty clear. I think what's really appalling is the fact that you have the NBC News and NBC Brass who have apparently decided that they're going to try to maintain what is obviously a false claim that they didn't know about all the stuff that Lauer was doing. And they've really hid behind some what I think are very lawyered up kind of statements. Well, once there was a complaint filed 
we, you know, we acted promptly. Well, I, I think that's lawyer talk. They're saying, okay, once some woman finally came forward and actually went to Human Resources and filed a written complaint, we, we acted on it. Not as the reports are coming out that you've had women for years who have going go, been going to their bosses and going to superiors at NBC and saying, Lauer did this, Lauer did that. And that all fell on deaf ears because Matt Lauer was the, the crown prince of this $50 million cash cow that what five hundred million dollar cash cow that was the today show so anyhow I, I think that there's going to be other shoes to drop i think that there's other people including women on the today show set who knew this was going on but because they either were close with matt lauer or they wanted to curry favor with him that they kind of went along with it as well so i think that's all going to be coming out but here's here's I don't know if it's fair to say the best part, but it's the most ironic part. The reports are that that Matt Lauer, who was canned for this bad behavior, he, through his lawyer, is demanding $30 million, which I think would be the balance that he was due on his contract. His contract ran through next year. So he's like, well, okay, they, they fired him. But, you know, they have to pay off his contract. So here you have somebody who completely and totally disgraced, apparently undisputably engaged in improper conduct over a period of years with a large number of women. And he's got the audacity to say, all right, not only did I do this, but I want $30 million. I guess I lump this into the category of saying when you're wrong, be strong. Coming up in just a couple minutes, our friends at the Freedom From Religion Foundation, just in time for Christmas, are at it again. Stick around. It's 1259. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 109. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so I'm trying to decide. We're, of course, out here at um, VMP Healthcare and Community Living. Lots of people stopping by, dropping off toys as part of the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. So I'm trying to decide. We, we've got a tractor pull. A lot of kids getting pulled around in the tractor pull. Roscoe from the Admirals is here. Always a pleasure to see you, my friend. And then you've got the you've got the horse-drawn carriage ride. So I'm trying to decide. You know, do we do the horse-drawn carriage ride? Do we do the tractor pull? Do we do both? Looking at the llama at the petting zoo, and we have a ton of kids here. It's all just absolutely outstanding, and their whole little winter wonderland that's set up. Um, just got a cup of hot chocolate, as a matter of fact, during the break. Stop on by and say hi. We're going to have over a 1,000 children here this afternoon. But the purpose of it is, again, to drop off toys that we then collect, take them out to Capco, and ultimately with our friends at Capco, it goes to the Salvation Army to help brighten kids' Christmases. This is the 12th year for the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. It grows bigger and bigger every year, and it's always a pleasure to be part of it. All right. Our friends from the Freedom from Religion Foundation are, are back. And and I don't want to talk so much in this story about what the law is because the, the law with regard to what you can and can't do when it comes to prayer in schools is an absolute and total mess. I want to talk about what what the law should be. So here, here is the story, and I swear I'm not making this up. All right. The story involves a, a high school football coach in Indiana. Um, the it's it's out of Evansville, Indiana, and the high school it's named Reitz High School. And what happens is after they play this game um, on October thirteenth, where and they win. 
right? So they win. There is a picture in the sports section of the local newspaper that shows the players surrounded by their, they're, they're surrounding their coach. Everybody's exuberant. They've just won this big game. And all the, the people, their heads are down in prayer. Right, so it's a picture that they snap. They take this picture. All the kids have their their heads down in prayer. The, they're surrounded the coach. A couple have their hands on his shoulders. Okay, so th- they publish this. Well, what happens is, inevitably, that one annoying person, that person that I don't know, wakes up every day. I call them the politically correct and the perpetually offended. Somebody wakes up and sees that picture in the newspaper. And becomes, you guessed it, offended. And so what that person does is they take the this and the, the caption of the newspaper article says, Reed's coach um, Andy Hape prays with his team after their 49-46 win over the Mater Dei Wildcats. And it's published. An unidentified local resident, again, somebody who doesn't have the guts to come forward publicly, sees the photo in the newspaper and reports it to our friends in Madison at the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Uh, the person said that the coach and his assistant coaches also, they, they have done this before, at which point in time the attorney for this group says sends a note saying, it is illegal for public school athletic coaches to lead their teams in prayer, participate in student prayers, or to otherwise promote religion to students. When public school employees acting in their official capacities organize an advocate for a team prayer, they effectively endorse religion on the district's behalf. They are demanding, demanding an investigation and demanding that the school district ensure that REITS coaches not pray with students during athletic programs. All right. Now, I, I don't want to get into the nuances of, of the law, because the law in this area is a complete and total mess. But I want to talk about what the law should be, because I have been hoping for a number of years that the Supreme Court decides to kind of get into this matter and take a hard look at some of its cases and start giving hard lines. But, but here's, here's the deal. You've got a high school athletic program. You have some of the kids who obviously are religious, you have coaches who are obviously religious. Let me ask you this. If there is a voluntary prayer before or after games, with the emphasis being voluntary, is there a problem? Do you have a problem with the coach of an athletic team, for example, joining with the students that he chooses to, to choose to join with him and saying a prayer? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I don't want to get into the nuance of what the law should be. But all right, it's after a big win. Is there a problem if the coach were to say, Would anybody like to join me in a prayer? Is that is that a problem? Or after a big win or before a big win, and you've got the captain of the team who says, I'm going to stand up and say a prayer. Is there anything wrong in your mind with the coach deciding that he, too, is going to join in? I don't mean to be uh, gender biased. Or the female coach saying that she, too, would join in. Does this strike you as something that should be unconstitutional, that is, voluntary prayer before or after athletic events participated in by whoever wants to participate in it? My answer would be 
No. Now, I understand that there shouldn't be coercion. I understand that you shouldn't say as a condition of being on the team, you have to say the prayer. But candidly, I don't think there's anything wrong, nor do I think it should be unconstitutional for voluntary prayer participated in by school officials and and by students, with the emphasis as long as it's voluntary. And I want to talk about the real world here, not someone that might be coerced or might be offended. Would anybody really be offended by that? 414-799-1620, my answer would be no reasonable person should be offended by that. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. We're back with your calls as we broadcast live from Kids to Kids Christmas at VMP Healthcare and Community Living. It's 116. This is Jeff Wagner. 119, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, here's the story. After a big win, a high school football coach is filmed, a picture in the newspaper, him surrounded by his players, and their heads are bowed in prayer. Somebody sees this picture and absolutely freaks out, sends a letter to the Freedom From Religion Foundation in Madison, which is now sending this high school district a letter saying, you better order them to cease and desist. You know, you need to knock this off. I don't want to talk about what the law is, okay, because the law is a mess when it comes to this. But really, isn't it time to say that in 2017, there is nothing wrong with a coach, a high school coach, participating in a voluntary prayer with students before or after games. Now, obviously, you shouldn't be able to coerce students. If you want to be on the team, you got to be of a certain religion. But if the kids want to pray and the coach wants to pray, why should we tell them that they can't? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Brian in Milwaukee. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, I played at a high school football, a pretty prominent program in southeastern Wisconsin, and we prayed before every football game, um, and it was uh, not an offensive thing to the guys who didn't want to pray. Our coach just said, you know, we're going to pray. If you choose to do that, great. If not, you know, give us 30 seconds while we do that. Um, I am now a defensive coordinator at a high school program in southeastern Wisconsin, and again, our head coach did the same thing. If you choose to pray, we're going to pray. If not, um, you know, that's okay. However, the thing that I have a problem with is that people close to programs, like this person, whoever sent the photo in, clearly they have an issue with it, and they're yep. probably not even close to the program, like a parent or a player or someone affiliated with the program. No, right, and, and there's somebody that has an agenda. Like I say, this this is somebody who saw the picture in the newspaper, and, and that was the, the basis for doing this. Again, I look, I mean, like you're talking about, Brian, I understand where you know, you, you can't, you shouldn't force people to say a, a prayer or make that as a condition of playing. But again, Absolutely. if you've got if you've got a bunch of kids and the coaches who believe in in God and choose to do this before and after a, after a game, I, I don't I don't understand why the government should be telling you you can't do that. Absolutely, yeah, no, thank you. And, and that's the right. problem is you have people who get involved in it who have nothing to do with the program, and that's a lot of times is is what creates these problems. Right, exactly. No, th- thanks for the call. Right, a- again, it's some busybody who's sitting around thinking that they're going to be uh, offended by this particular thing. Bill in Madison. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Bill. Hello. Hi, Bill. Hey, hey, how you doing? Driving back from central Wisconsin. Um, oh, great. Go- glad to have you. 
thank you for taking my call. I appreciate having you back in the afternoon slot. I hope it works out well for you. It, it, um, it, is, it is already working out very well. Thank you very much. Good. I'm a semi-retired contractor, and I have a, a passion for youth apprenticeships, training up children. I volunteer at a couple of schools to, to work with them, showing them construction-related issues, blah, blah, blah. And I'll tell you, I get so tired of listening to well-meaning people you know, social workers, whomever, well-meaning people. I won't say they're not, but, you know, what they need is more programs, more money, more dollars. Throw it at these kids. This is what they need. They need more benefits. Their families need more benefits. You know, I grew up in the early 60s. I didn't realize how dirt poor I was and my siblings until I became a young adult and realized that it was not, you know, common to share one can of beans between you and your three sisters. And, and so I, when I see this and I hear this and I look at these kids, the common denominator is lack of value, moral compass, they, they, God, country, it's all mm-hmm. missing. These kids are all about what program, what benefits, how much money do I get, uh, do I get my free cell phone, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, these, these well-meaning, I, I will say they're well-meaning social workers and counselors and whatever, but they're missing the point. You know, they're complaining about how cold it is outside, but nobody steps up and shuts the window. Well, I mean, thanks. For, no, no, I appreciate, but I mean, thanks for that. Right? I guess. I mean, I mean, and this is this is a variation, I think, of what you're talking about. It's the idea of what what we're really going to get upset about. I mean, I guess I, I look at this and I think, okay, I understand that people have all sorts of different views on religion, and I respect that. But if here, if you have a, a bunch of kids that want to get together and they want to. I don't know, um, before an athletic event, you know, ask for the Lord's blessing and hope that nobody gets hurt. All right, how, how is anybody hurt if they do that? And if you have coaches that are people of faith and they decide that they want to bow their heads in prayer as well, how is that hurting anybody at all? And the answer is, it's not. It's just not. And that's how this whole law and the separation of church and state has gotten so completely and totally screwed up. But, I mean, I'm looking at the story. Atheists claim football coach broke the law by praying with his team. All right. Look, you're trying to build character in this particular case in young men. Female athletic coaches try to build character in young women. One of that things, one of those things might be a respect for authority, and it might be, heaven forbid, a respect and acknowledgement that maybe if you believe that way, there is a higher power that's out there. And you mean to tell me that we're going to get to a point in America in 2017 where you're going to have a handful of activists who are going to be able to dictate that you can't at least have any acknowledgement that many of us believe in that higher power? Um, come on. 414-799-1620. Shane in Sheboygan. Shane, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi there. First of all, I'd like to comment on your initial question of should this be constitutional or not. I believe that it is something that should not be dictated by the Supreme Court, simply based on the fact that with the initial setup of the Supreme Court, it was meant to support or deny the Constitution itself and the amendments thereof, particularly initially the Bill of Rights, but as those amendments were expanded, defined those particular areas. Secondly, I am like probably what the majority of your listeners are saying, I have no issue with a coach participating in a team-led prayer as long as it is the players who organize this. That 
simply mm-hmm. strict on the fact that as a member of one particular spiritual organization, I would not be happy if my son's coach was promoting a different spiritual organization than myself. That what about said, a non-denominational? What about a non-denominational prayer? From the pres- I, no, I, I understand what you're saying about student-led, and, and, and I got that. I'm just wondering, from the perspective of a coach, what if it was right. a non-denominational prayer, um, an inclusive strictly, one? Would you- strictly based on the fact of the the Freedom of Religion Act was meant to help those that maybe are not of the spiritual majority, so someone who might say pray to Allah or whatever, ultimately... As long as he does not specifically reference a deity, I would mm-hmm. be okay with that. But yeah. if he if he chooses to say, "Hey guys, we are going to have this prayer," and he choo- and he chooses to reference a deity, that is where I would personally prefer it not happen. I'm not saying it's wrong. Right. Just my personal thought is I would rather it not happen. But if okay. say the team, like you said, the team captain says, "Okay, guys, the Christians among us, we are going to have a prayer, and we are going to pray to." The right. person, you know, the deity of our choice. You can join us if you want to. If not, great. We'll be in the showers praying. You guys can go get ready for the game. I have no issue with that one way or the other. Yeah, good enough. Thanks for calling, Shane. And I, I understand. See, I, I get that there's all sorts of, of nuances that, that come along with this. But to me, the bigger, broader point is that this idea that we have to separate and eliminate any sort of religious discourse from public entities. I reject that. I don't think that's what the Founding Fathers were all about either. But that's how the law has gotten changed. Again, I don't think that there's anything wrong with after a game. And it wasn't a mandatory team prayer. I mean, I don't think that there's anything wrong if, you know, uh, you've got a third of the team that gathers around the coach and maybe he's a deeply religious man and and all of them, like, bow their head and there's a prayer. I don't have a problem with that. I, I don't. And the fact that maybe half the team isn't there or isn't participating, I'm cool with that too. Nobody should be made to pray. I don't believe that. I don't believe anybody should be made to pray, but at the same time, I don't think we should be preventing people from praying either. Period. 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, again, broadcasting all day from VMP Healthcare and Community Living. During the break, guy pulled up in an SUV, opened up the back cargo hatch full of toys, just all sorts of toys, donated again to our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. Um, just This is our 12th annual Kids to Kids Christmas toy drive. What we do, if you, a lot of people say, well, how can I help? Well, you can take your child shopping. You can teach them the power of giving this holiday. And you can come here today between now and 6 o'clock, drop off a new unwrapped toy, and uh, we're going to make sure it gets to the right people. Um, in addition, we're going to be doing uh, another one of these remote events next Friday, live from Albrecht, Albrecht Century in Delafield. That's the one right off the freeway. Um, there's also other Kids to Kids toy drop-off campaigns. And then we invite everybody to join us for the finale. That is going to be uh, two weeks from Saturday, uh, two weeks from tomorrow, at Capco Metal Stamping um, out in Grafton. They have a Winter Wonderland as well. But for now, for the next, well, four and a half hours or so, we're going to be broadcasting here from VMP um, Healthcare um, and Community Living on South 84th Street. Uh, all right. I, you know, last year was the year of the, the transgender person. I never realized, I guess, that there were so many people out there that were transgender. Well, actually, I'm not sure that there really are. It's just it's getting a ton of attention. Right Here is the latest story, and it involves a high school in Illinois that's Palatine High School. 
they've been at the front of this for a while. Let me tell you the story, and then I want your reaction. Here's the deal. There is an 18-year-old high school senior. She's 18. Four years ago, she started October of 2014, three years ago. October of 2014, she started presenting herself as a female. She uh, uses a female name, and she dresses as a girl. All right? That's starting three years ago. Um, Biologically, the child is a boy. Let me be graphic here. The child has boy parts. Okay? Dresses like a girl, puts on makeup, you know, long hair, whatever, but they've got boy parts. So the child hasn't gone through hormone therapy. There hasn't been the operations. The child is biologically a boy, and you get the idea. All right, so what happens is that the child says, all right, I'm transgender, and I demand to be able to use the female locker room because I identify as a, a, a girl. The school district says, well, here, here's the problem. You might identify as a girl, You might dress, and that, that's fine. If you want to dress like a girl, we're cool with that. If you want to use girl, call yourself a girl's name, we're fine with that. But when it comes to our locker room, you have, it's, an open, it's an open locker room. It's not like there's private dressing stalls. And we're, we're sorry, you, you can't use that. You, you can't do that. We're not going to let you do it because... Wait for it. You've got boy parts. So what they say is, we're going to be willing to accommodate you. Tell you what, we have the, the special faculty area that has its own like private locker stall and stuff. You know, you can change. You can use that to change. That that's fine. And then this doesn't create an issue. You're not uncomfortable by having to go into the boys' locker room because you know, again, you're you're dressed, you're presenting yourself as as a girl. You don't have to do that. But you know, you can use this faculty locker room, this private one. She says, nope. I, I don't want to do that. That's discriminating against me um, because you're singling me out. I demand to use the girls' locker room. <laughs> so what the school district says is, okay, tell you what. Here's what we're going to do. We will let you, boy body parts and all, we will let you use the girls' locker room. But, but... What we're going to do is we're going to set up a a special private area in the girls' locker room. You're essentially going to have your own changing booth. That's what they, you can be in the girls' locker room, but you know what? We're also concerned that, you know, when you're in there, there might be some girls who are uncomfortable being around someone who has a penis. There, I went out and said it. We're concerned that there might be some people who are uncomfortable with that, and we're trying to balance it out. If you want to be in the girls' locker room, that's fine. You can change in the girls' locker room, but you have to use this separate privacy area that we've set up for you. And the parents have freaked out. That's just awful. She's demanding we want our child to be treated like every other girl in the school, and you are conspicuously separating her, and we're demanding that you stop. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the school is meeting this child and their parents more than halfway. 
I've always been a little bit conflicted about the bathroom stuff because in, in general in the bathrooms, you know, you're, you're in stalls and there's a degree of privacy. I think when you're talking about open public locker rooms, there's always been a different consideration. And I think that there are other people, for example, you know, 13 and 14 and 15-year-old girls who might be uncomfortable changing next to somebody who presents as a girl but nevertheless has boy body parts. And, and I think those students have rights, too. And this is at least one school district that is standing up for the rights of those other students. I think this is a more than reasonable balancing to say, okay, you want to go into the girls' locker room, you don't feel comfortable using the boys' locker room, God bless you, that's fine, but we've set up a separate area. And yes, it's true that the child is not being treated like everybody else, but you know what? Biologically, that child is different than the other girls who are in the locker room. And I think it is absurd for the parents in this girl to think that their rights to, again, be treated like a girl when they are biologically a boy is something different. 414-799-1620. School district says, no, we're going to fight this. We're gonna, you want to sue us? Fine, we're going to fight it. I think the school district is right. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 143. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, again, just, just review the bidding. Here's the deal. Transgender student, um, it's a biologically a boy. She presents as a girl, has for the last three years. Goes to this school in Palatine, Illinois. She's demanding the child that has boy body parts, it has a, she has a penis, is demanding use of the girl's locker room. What they had done before is they'd set up a separate area in the faculty thing for the child to change. That wasn't good enough. It's demanding use of the boy, girl's locker room. School says, okay, fine, but you know we have an open-air locker room, so what we're going to do is we'll set up a private changing area within the girl's locker room. Her and her parents say, that's absolutely unacceptable. You're treating her differently. The school is saying, well, you know what? We're trying to balance the rights of you know, 13, 14, 15-year-old girls who are biologically girls with, you know, your right. And we think that they have the right, too, not to necessarily be changing clothes next to somebody who is anatomically a boy. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Steve in Cedarburg. Steve, good afternoon. I was so disappointed. I was going, I wanted to call and destroy you on the Trump news today, but I have to actually agree <laughs> with you. Just, okay, I, it's killing me. It's the first time I've ever actually called you to not destroy you and have you hang up on me like Boeing. I'm, I've got to be in total agreement. You, the, if the operation's not there and they've done, I, I can't believe the accommodations you kept going on and on and on and on about that they were making. I think it's just absolutely reasonable what they did in the school district, and it's unreasonable for a, a kid that still has his equipment. Um, to be able to see girls dressing and undressing, I just did wrong. Or, or vice versa. No, no. Thanks for the call, Steve. I, I appreciate it. I wouldn't hang up on you regardless. But yeah, but it's it's um, it's one of those deals where you you have this kind of balancing right. I mean, if I've got a fourteen year old daughter 
I mean, I think that that 14-year-old daughter, and, and maybe maybe the child doesn't care, but, I mean, on the other hand, I could see how, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-old girls who are, you know, a very impressionable time of their life as well, they might be uncomfortable dressing next to someone who is biologically, anatomically a boy. So this is the way that you try to balance that all out. See, I don't think this is really about this particular child being uncomfortable. I think what this is more about is, again, trying to use this as a way of advancing a particular agenda or a movement. And I applaud the school district. I mean, I'm trying to picture, you had this situation at UWM a year or so ago where you had the the UWM freshman who identified as a woman or claimed that they did, but they were anatomically a male. They looked like a guy. And they go in and they want to use the women's sauna. Well, okay, I understand if if you're there in as part of their health facility and you're there with your 8-year-old girl, with your 8-year-old daughter, and somebody walks into the sauna and plops down and it's for all intents and purposes presented to the outside world, it's a guy, I understand why you... And the child might be a little bit uncomfortable. And all I'm saying is that you have an obligation to balance out these different interests. I don't think that that is an unreasonable type of expectation. But again, like I say, I think what happens a lot of times here is it's really not about the accommodation. It's not about the interest. What it is really all about is trying to advance a particular uh, agenda and trying to say that, well, we have rights. Well, transgender students do have rights. I wouldn't argue that they don't. I'm just saying that those rights don't don't have to be absolute to the point that they create and deprive perhaps the rights of other students as well. Um, 414-799-1620. Chris, who's calling us from Chicago. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Chris. Hello? Hi, Chris. Go ahead. Oh, hey. Sorry about that. I heard... No problem. Um, so, yeah, hey, Jeff. So I'm down for, I'm down in that area. I'm actually not too far from Palatine. Uh, and it's interesting because the, the, the people around it are kind of talking about it as just like a, an incredibly selfish thing. I think it's less about, obviously, the transgender thing is what really gets the headlines. But really what it boils down to is it's, it's the needs of one individual or the desires or wants or whatever you want to say uh, over the needs of the many. And, it's, and especially when you think about teenage girls and everything that they're going through to begin with, you know, with... Yeah. So they're growing, you know, and, and, and right. having to deal with that is just crazy selfish. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, the, the school's gone well beyond where they need to go on this. And, and trust me, a lot of folks around my area feel the same way. Well, wait, and I, you know, I got to tell you, uh, I got to tell you, Chris. I, I mean, I think that's the general common sense approach that you know, you, you you want to do everything you can to make this particular student feel comfortable, okay? And yeah. and so you you want to you want to try to help that student, but at the same time, I think you know your phrase "selfish" is is really a good one. I think it is selfish yeah. to say, okay, I have this absolute right to do something, and if it makes other people feel uncomfortable, creates issues for them, I don't give a rat's rump because. I'm more important, and, and that's that's what this is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the call. Yeah. I appreciate it. Also, by the way, I like the uh, needs of the one outweigh the, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. It was very Star yeah, Trek well, of you. <laughs> no, absolutely. I appreciate thanks, that. I appreciate no, it. thanks a lot. Yeah. I appreciate Go ahead. Okay, good enough. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Um, let's talk to Dave and Racine. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Greetings, Jeff. Uh, just uh, thinking, aren't we heading into... Uh, Harvey Weinstein, Louis C.K. territory, where except for maybe the uh, 
pleasuring oneself, but by exposing one's uh, male genitalia to a bunch of women, isn't that you know sexual harassment? Well, I th- thanks for calling. I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I don't. I don't think there's any sort of purient interest in it. Thanks for calling, Dave. I, I don't think there's any purient interest in that. But I mean, so I, I I'm not so much worried about that. But I get, I can't understand a 14 year old gal going through puberty or something like that who is uncomfortable if all of a sudden in an open air locker room the person on the bench next to them uh, drops their their skivvies and um, all of a sudden you know there's. There's a male piece of male anatomy hanging there. Um, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. In any event, I think the school is right. The school seems to think it's going to stick to its guns, and that, to me, is the way this should happen. It's 153. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Once again, we are broadcasting from our Kids to Kids Christmas drop-off point at VMP Healthcare and Community Living on South 84th Street. 156. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from VMP Healthcare and Community Living um, another school bus. We've got 54 kids, students from Pershing Elementary, and we've got people volunteering from JDA Software and Coles Corporate, and 10 volunteers from the United Way of Greater Milwaukee. Welcome. Come on by. Drop off toys. We are having a great time. It is. This is a story, and it just it emphasizes that the least humorless, most most thin-skinned people in any industry. It's got to be journalists. I, I've, I've said this before. You criticize people for writing newspaper stories. Oh, my goodness, do they get their backs up. Talk about thin skin. So, all right, here, here's the deal. Um, here's, the, here's the deal. Walmart was apparently selling th- this shirt. And here's what the shirt says. It says, rope, tree, journalist, some assembly required. Okay, Walmart had that on, on their website. Rope, tree, journalist, subassembly required. Okay, so, I mean, is it is it in bad taste? Yeah, it's, it's, it's in bad taste. Would I wear something like that? No. But, of course, you know, what what is this? It's it's a joke, right? Nobody is saying that you're going to wear a tree that says rope, tree, journalist, and you're actually going to go out and hang somebody, all right? That, that's some assembly required. Rope, tree, journalist, some assembly required. That slogan has been around for many years. Some people started wearing it to uh, campaign rallies in the 2016 election cycle. It's a joke. It might be a tasteless joke, but there's lots of tasteless T-shirts. So here's what happens. Uh, my former coworker, Dan Shelley, who is now the um, RTDNA executive director, that's like the, the radio organization, and interestingly enough, um, they've got their voice of the First Amendment task force. They call up Walmart, demanding that this shirt be taken off the market. Their argument is that this uh, these shirts and the message at the least could inflame the passions of those who either don't like or don't understand the news media. At worst, they openly encourage violence targeting journalists. It's a joke. You know, and the interesting thing to me is, if this were a similar type of shirt that somebody was wearing, say an anti-Trump shirt, you would know, you would think that the same group of people would be vigorously defending the First Amendment right of people to wear it. Now, look, I think this is a tasteless sort of thing. But at the same time, it's a joke. It's a joke, and that is what is intended. It's a joke that might be in bad taste. But I think it's so very, very interesting that you have journalists who claim to support the First Amendment unless you 
I don't know, wear a shirt that ends up mocking them, in which case they become absolutely incensed. Yes, does this really incite violence? Give me a break. It's just somebody who's trying to make a statement, and they think they're being clever. Um, Walmart, in any event, has decided to pull that. That's fine. That's Walmart's business decision. But again, I do think it's interesting that, that this is the battle that journalists who make their living under the umbrella of the First Amendment want to fight by saying, we can't allow shirts like this to be sold. Huh. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 210. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Once again, it is our Kids to Kids Christmas toy collection campaign. Today, we are broadcasting live from VMP Healthcare and Community Living. We are out, well, looking right outside the front. We're stationed in the Circular Drive in the WTMJ Mobile Studio. I'll call it the Big Talking Box. We will be here. Well, I'm here for another hour, and then John McCure and Melissa Barkley are here from 3 until 6. The purpose of this is, though, to collect toys for a kids-to-kids Christmas drive. Matter of fact, somebody just pulled up now, very generously dropped off toys. Thank you very much for that contribution. We appreciate it a lot. Um, a lot of students here, um, they've been bringing busloads of kids in all day since I got here about 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the folks at VMP, they've got it set up. It's incredible. they got hot dogs and hot chocolate and all sorts of things like like that. Um, oh, big fire getting started here. That's a good thing by the West Dallas Fire Department. Um, we've got Bell Ambulance. We've got a petting zoo. You can come pet a llama. A lot of great stuff. Is that a bouncy house that they have down there as well? A lot of great stuff going on. Come on out. But the important thing is bring us, please, a new unwrapped toy. What we do, and this is the 12th year for the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign, we will collect these all. Ultimately, all the toys that we get from our various activities, they go out to Capco in Grafton. There's a big Christmas at Capco finale event that comes up two weeks from Saturday. And then ultimately, all the toys go to the Salvation Army, and they set up like a giant toy store. And, and what happens is people can come in, and they get vouchers to pick various toys. And the whole idea is to make... I don't know, Christmas a little bit merrier, maybe for some underprivileged children. So we appreciate that. Like I say, this is the 12th annual Kids to Kids Toy Drive. For the next four hours, we're going to be at VMP Healthcare and Community Living. Next Friday, um, for people in the western portion of our listening area, we're going to be doing the same thing. We're live at Albrecht Century, which is the Century Store in Delafield, right off the freeway. Can't miss it. And then, of course, we've also, again, got the big finale event two weeks from tomorrow at Capco Metal Stamping. So looking forward to all of that. All right. Pop Culture Corner coming up in just a few minutes. We do that every Friday afternoon in the 2.30 segment of the program. I um, I, I just I, I want to double back on, on something we talked about yesterday. And I, I understand. I've, I've explained this, and I've come to live with this. Because when, when it comes to talking about politics, I, I, there are, we are so very divided and, and it's not just among Republicans and Democrats or conservatives or liberals, but we, we just refuse, I, I think in some cases, we refuse to be able to acknowledge that the people that are on the other side of the aisle from us may occasionally be right, or alternatively, that the people on our side are, are not 
always right. Once in a while, they may be a little bit wrong. Now, we did a segment on this program yesterday. Tammy Baldwin. Now, I'm not a fan of Tammy Baldwin, but believe me. But Tammy Baldwin, you know, had sent a letter to the FTC asking them to investigate TripAdvisor because TripAdvisor apparently has been deleting negative references to various resorts. So you have this problem going on in Mexico where apparently people um, allege that they were robbed and drugged and sexually assaulted, and TripAdvisor has been deleting those so that people don't know. Well, of course, TripAdvisor gets paid by the resorts. It strikes me as being fraudulent. Tammy Baldwin wants the FTC to investigate. I think that is a reasonable sort of thing. When it comes to President Trump, there, there really is no middle ground, I've I found, or at least it's very difficult to occupy the middle ground. There are people who just incredibly dislike the president, and those people who dislike the president, they're unable to at least give him any acknowledgement at all for doing anything good. On the other hand, the people that like him are unable to at least acknowledge that, you know, he he could possibly be doing something that that he could ever do anything good. So here's the bottom line of all this. A couple days ago, you get President Trump, who tweets out, who passes on these videos of, they were put out by an extremist group in Great Britain, one of the, the extreme edge groups. And, and what they are is they purport to be videos of Muslims who are committing crimes or beating up non-Muslim people. And without any sort of comment or context, the president passes these, these on. That creates a problem, of course, with the British government, who's dealing with these kind of extremists. I mean, we had somebody called up who was actually from Great Britain and said this Britain First group was kind of like British, the British equivalent of the Ku Klux Klan. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's one of the realities, and that's one of the things that that goes on and and deals with that. So you've got that factor that's here. But... In any event, you have these things that are distributed. You have this issue. Well, the president's spokesperson, her name is Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She comes out uh, yesterday, and they ask her about these various you know, videos. And she says, well, that she believes that when President Trump decided to pass these on, he was seeking to elevate the conversation about issues of extreme violence and terrorism. Elevate the conversation. Right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand that, you know, there's some people who refuse to understand that President Trump could do anything wrong, and there's also some people who refuse to give him any any credit. But by passing on videos like this, does this elevate the conversation about issues of extreme violence and terrorism? Or does stuff like this flan fan the flames of problems? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. Candidly, I think there's many things you could say about this decision to do this. Elevating the conversation about extreme violence and terrorism. Whatever these videos did, it didn't seem to me to do that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We're back to discuss in just a moment. It's two sixteen. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 2.20, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, once again broadcasting live from Kids to Kids Christmas. We're at VMP Healthcare and Community Living just off of South 84th Street. Stop by, drop off some new unwrapped toys. Um, A lot of kids are here already. I'm just watching our toy meter go up and up. Okay, again, I, I understand that 
you know, we were unable to find a middle ground on some of these things. But the other day, for what passes, I, I still can't figure it out. You, you have President Trump who decides to, without comment, pass on these videos of Muslims purported, and, and one isn't even an accurate, one is a, is a misrepresentation, but it doesn't matter. Now pass on these th- these videos that are produced by this extremist British organization. Um, it's a fringe group, one of these kook fringe groups that, um, and they purport to show Muslims engaging in acts of violence against non-Muslims. Okay, the president retweets this without any sort of commentary or context. It puts the British prime minister in a very difficult situation because she's out there trying to, uh, again, she's out there trying to fight this group. This is an extremist group that is not necessarily um, in the interests and working in the interests of the British government. So the president puts this stuff out there, all right? Without commentary, he ends up getting applauded by, for giving credit to, again, this extremist group. In addition, you know, he's getting supported by people like David Duke. And if David Duke is on your side, it seems to me that makes it questionable about whether you're on the right side or not. Okay, so then you have the presidential spokeswoman yesterday who goes up and says, well, you know, by, by retweeting these inflammatory anti-Muslim videos, he's serving to elevate the conversation about the issues of extreme violence and terrorism, to which I would say, what the heck is she talking about? How does passing on these hate videos elevate any sort of conversation about extreme violence and terrorism? Let's talk to, um, is it Riz in New Berlin? You're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, yeah, this Hi. is Riz. I'm, I'm a Muslim. I belong to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And my thoughts on this are that in a time when hate crimes against Muslims and other minorities are at an all-time high, uh, sharing and tweeting videos like this is just fanning those flames and making uh, it's going to make more victims uh, of these hate crimes. Yeah, well, it emboldens some of the fringe groups. I mean, I don't, for the life of me, I don't understand how this elevates the conversation about about anything. I just, why would you send stuff like this out? Why would you give one of these fringe type of groups any sort of publicity at all? It makes no sense to me. Exactly, and that's why we, as Muslims who believe in the Messiah, Mirza Ghulam, and we started this campaign called True Islam. We do an event called Coffee Cake and True Islam every year here in Milwaukee at Collectivo Coffee in Humboldt, mm-hmm. where we want people to come out and meet a Muslim, talk to a Muslim, have a cup of coffee with us, so we can help break down some of these stereotypes to kind of try to stop some of the effects that we're seeing right now of these hate crimes against Muslims. Yeah, no, I, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And, and see, I get that. It, it's like this is the this is the kind of the flip side of this. What drove me crazy back during the Obama administration was where President Obama refused to use the term, you know, Muslim Islamic extremism. All right, because he found people would be offended by that. Well, all right, there there is a degree of Islamic extremism. There is a very very small percentage of religious followers who have this weird whacked out interpretation of the Quran. And yes, they are they are the extremists who engage in violence. Which isn't to say that you don't have, for example, extremists, you know, uh, you know, who do things in in their weird interpretation of Christianity. It's not an indictment of Christianity. It's not an indictment of the Muslim faith. It is an indictment of people who have sort of, I think, co-opted what those faiths are for, you know, their particular extremist sort of views. Sending out a video like this, to me, um, 
to me, sending out a video like this does absolutely nothing to further the conversation. And I, I think by making claims like this, you make yourself look look absolutely ridiculous. Now, you could ask me, what is she supposed to say in circumstances like this? And the answer would be, I don't know. I mean, it's it's like I, I, I don't know because I think there's a lot of times there's a lot of people who end up working for the president who, you know, wake up one morning and think, hey, it's a nice Sunday morning. I'm going to have coffee with my family and then I'm going to go to church and we're going to have a nice relaxing Sunday. And you find that the president has tweeted out something that has just created a huge stir at four o'clock in the morning, which is why I continue to believe that while social media is a powerful, powerful tool, I think in the case of the president, if somebody just took his phone away from him between, say, the hours of 1 a.m. and 6 a.m., I think things would be going a lot smoother. It's 225. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Uh, we're winding down my portion of the broadcast from BMP Healthcare and Community Living. Melissa and John are going to be in for another three hours. We're at all 6 o'clock. I'm just seeing it. We've already collected. Uh, they've got a toy meter. It's already over 1,250 toys from the event this afternoon, and it's got another three and a half hours to run. Once again, we are at VMP Healthcare and Community Living, 3023 South 84th Street in West Dallas. Stop on by. I'm watching the carriage rides go by. We've got a petting zoo. The fire department's here. All for good things. You can take a look at the fire trucks. They've already got uh, one of my favorite things. They've got the fire pit going. They've got hot dogs. They've got hot chocolate. They've got their winter wonderland set up. And we're asking you to stop off and uh, drop off some toys. We will make sure they get to uh, needy children. All right. I understand this has been one heck of a week between the Matt Lauer stuff and the fights on the budget bill and the stock market up and the stock market down and the battles over, well, pretty much everything in Washington. This is the portion of the week where we just kind of take a deep breath, where we take a deep breath and go back and just kind of relax and do something fun to get you into the weekend. I call this segment Pop Culture Corner, and we've been doing it for well, as long as I've been doing a radio show. Sometimes we talk about food, sometimes cars, sometimes books, sometimes movies. Um, it just kind of depends on the events of the week and what kind of tickles my fancy and what I might think will tickle yours as well. Um, yesterday you had the news that Jim Neighbors, who played Gomer Pyle on the Andy Griffith Show, passed away at the age of 87. He was the second last, with the exception of, of um, Ron Howard, who played Opie, Jim Neighbors was the second last living cast member um, from the, the show. Uh, the only one that's still alive is um, Betty Lynn, who played Thelma Lou, <laughs> Barney's girlfriend. She's the only one that's still alive. She's in her 90s, but Jim Neighbors passed away in Hawaii. And, of course, Jim Neighbors played Gomer Pyle, had that great role on Andy Griffith, and then turned that into his own TV show, Gomer Pyle, uh, USMC, for a couple years as well. And, you know, if you were growing up at a certain age, you, you ended up at a certain age, you ended up watching that show. But I, I was just commenting yesterday about how good a situation comedy I, I thought Andy Griffith, the Andy Griffith show was. I think it's one of those shows that stands the test of time. And by that I mean you can sit back and you can watch some of those episodes now and you, you can enjoy them just as much as when they were first on the air. All right, so 
in recognition of the passing of Gomer Pyle, Jim Neighbors, and, you know, thinking back about the Andy Griffith Show and things like that, I thought we would do a TV-related pop culture corner today. And let's talk about situation comedies. I, we all love them. There's been a lot of great situation comedies over the years. There's a lot of really good situation comedies that are on TV now. Situation comedies have definitely changed from the I Love Lucy days. But I thought we'd take a look back. And for Pop Culture Corner this week, I want to talk about the best situation comedy ever, the best sitcom ever. It can be something from the 50s or 60s. It could be something from the 70s where you really had a revolution, where you had shows like Maud and All in the Family replace shows like the Beverly Hillbillies and Green Acres, to Seinfeld, to some of the stuff that's on now, like the Big Bang Theory. What's the best situation comedy ever? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, well, again, we're on the road doing a remote. A lot of times when we do this, we, we've got the text line. I don't have access to the text line right now, so... You, yeah, a lot of times I'll read the text. I don't have access to that. An email is a little bit difficult for me to get to. So we're going back to the old-fashioned way. I'm going to take your phone calls. 414-799-1620. The best situation comedy ever. As I always say, our phone lines tend to jam up, so I encourage you to call quickly. And go with your first instinct. Sometimes people overthink these matters. It's Pop Culture Corner, TV sitcoms. We're back to talk about it in just a couple minutes. It's 239. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 2.42. This is Jeff Wagner broadcasting live from our Kids to Kids Christmas collection here. We're at VMP Healthcare and Community Living. People stopping by, dropping off toys. It's so cool. All right, as I was saying earlier, Jim Neighbors, who played Gomer Pyle, a great uh, a great, memorable character on The Andy Griffith Show. I love The Andy Griffith Show. He passed away. Got me thinking for Pop Culture Corner about great TV sitcoms. All right, what's your nomination? 414-799-1620, and it can be one from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, which were kind of a renaissance. It's where, you know, sitcoms really changed. You know, before that, you had kind of the slapstick stuff, um, My Mother the Car, that kind of thing. Then you went into, uh, I mean, All in the Family. You went into Maud, um, you know, some of the more edgy sort of things. And then, of course, you had MASH. What? Okay, your favorite sitcom, 414-799-1620. Let's start with Renata in Waukesha. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, um, back in the day, my favorite sitcom was the Dick Van Dyke Show. I did love the Andy Griffith Show, but hands down, Dick Van Dyke was hilarious. Yep, 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 yep. Um, and, of course, you had, you know, that introduced the world to Mary Tyler Moore, you know, and she was just incredible about that. No, that was just a great show. There's no question about it. And the one now, now that I love is the Big Bang Theory. Everybody loves the Big My Bang Theory. Too. My <laughs> yeah, husband, too. <laughs> yeah, everybody loves it. No, thank, thanks for the call. You know, the interesting thing about the Dick Van Dyke show was at the time, when they first started it, it was going to be a workplace comedy. Um, they were going to focus more on, because it was based on um, Carl Reiner, who was the creator of that. You know, it was kind of, and he was a writer. It was kind of based, the Dick Van Dyke character was Carl Reiner, who played Alan, Brad, Alan Brady in the show. But it was going to be based more in The Office. And then Mary Tyler Moore was the breakout star. And so as, as the show went on, they did more and more shows featuring Mary Tyler Moore in the home life. And actually, that created some controversy with the, uh, with like Rosemary and Maury Amsterdam, who were going to get in lower, lesser and lesser parts. But interesting, Mary Tyler Moore, which is so incredible. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, good afternoon. 
Hey, Jeff, I'm going with Seinfeld because it's timeless. It has a wide variety of subjects, and I even have a T-shirt that says Mandelbaum's Gym that I wear <laughs> at my own gym. The great Lloyd Bridges. You know, it's, it's in, thanks for the call, Jeff. You know, it, the interesting thing to me about Seinfeld is when Seinfeld was first on, it was part of that, like, must-see Thursday night TV thing. I, I liked it, but I, I didn't think it was going to age well. I, I thought it was going to turn out to be really a, a, a funny commentary on New York in that place and time. And I freely admit I was wrong. I, Seinfeld, at least so far, has stood the test of time. And the, you know, the, those episodes that they show in reruns now all the time, it seems, those episodes are just as funny today as they were you know, when they first aired 20 years ago. And I guess I, just, I, I admit I was wrong. I thought Seinfeld was going to be, oh, this is great, but... But, you know, there's not going to be that much of an interest moving forward. I was wrong. 414-799-1620. Linda in Jefferson. Linda, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Linda. My favorite, favorite is sitcom. Frasier. Okay, Frasier. tell me why. Right. I I just rewatched all the episodes, and the humor is just crazy. It's still relevant. Right with the right Kelsey Grammer, you know the character of Frazier, and then his brother Niles. I, it's right. um, you know it, it's interesting. I I didn't watch all of that. I used to watch a little bit of it. I, I watched. I was a big fan of Cheers. Um, but but Frazier maybe it just kind of hits cl- too close to home. You know him being the talk show host and stuff like that. But <laughs> you you just went back and watched it, and it's still pretty funny, huh? It is very. Yeah. Thanks for the call. I, again, I liked it. I mean, I would lump. I mean, you know, Cheers is one of the great comedies, and of course, Fraser, the Frasier character, you know, started on Cheers, and you know, Ted Danson and Shelley Shelley Long. I just, I, I like the first couple years of Cheers with a lot of sitcoms. Again, my beef is the same thing with a lot of dramas. I think they run them too long. I think that there's kind of a shelf life, and then then they start to repeat stories and things like that. Um, but but Frasier was good, and I think Cheers was was great as well. Brian in Manitowoc. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. Um, Hi, Brian. Renata kind of stole my thunder, but it's got to be Dick Van Dyke's show for the very best of all time. Okay, tell me why you liked it so much. Um, well, I'll contrast it with I Love Lucy, which mm-hmm. I did not care for with the exaggerated, unbelievable characters, people acting asinine. The, the characters on Dick Van Dyke's show act, actually acted like real, right. rational people do. Right, right. You could see a lot. Of, you could see that happening, right? You could, you could see. Okay, I could see how Mary Tyler Moore could get her f- uh, toes stuck in the the bathtub faucet or something like that. Huh? Yes, and how they how they behaved with it was, you know, plausible and and logical, made sense. And yeah. I I love music. The the fact that these comics would, you know, Maury Amsterdam sat, sits down at a cello. And my jaw hits the floor. Right. Um, right. And and Rosemary, I still remember her singing. I I want to be around to pick up the pieces when somebody breaks your heart. It was just spectacular. It, it was. They they no, they were tremendous. No, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to call Brian. Yeah, it was. It was. It was again. It was another one of these these timeless shows that probably could have gone, you know, a little bit longer. But you know, Dick Van Dyke wanted to do different things. Maggie and Wauwatosa. Maggie, you're on WTMJ Pop Culture Corner. Good afternoon. Hi, Maggie. Hi. 
sorry, I got I I heard something different there. I do have my radio off, but anyway, I love some of those early ones that were mentioned on uh, on the radio. But who didn't love Mash? I mean, when that yeah. went off, that was really it was almost heartbreaking when it went off. I remember how everybody just tuned in to watch that last show, and how they made so many shows out of a circumstance. But it was the characters in there that were just fabulous. And I think that that's what makes any sitcom, is the fabulous characters. Well, you know, I think you can make an argument that Alan Alda's character, Hawkeye Pierce, um, you know, that that might be... Now, I understand it, there's, there was the MASH movie beforehand, and Donald Southern played that. But, I, I mean, I think you can argue that that might be one of the greatest TV characters ever. Uh, I mean, yeah. Alan, Alda, Alan Alda was Hawkeye Pierce, no question about it. Yeah. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I, you know, the interesting thing to me about MASH is what the Korean War lasted three years or so, and, and the TV show ran 12 years and all. And that was one where, like, again, they, you know, you had the turnover in the cast. You know, you had McLean Stevenson, who played Colonel Blake. He left. You know, you had, and, and they were able to replace him. Harry Morgan comes in. Uh, you know, Wayne Rogers leaves after three years. They're able to replace him. And, and the show just kept going and going. I think you have to give it a lot of credit. All right, Bob in Waterford. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Hands down, Andy Griffith. I mean, I still watch it today religiously. My kids watched it religiously, and my girlfriend's grandson, he's starting to watch it. And like you said, it's one of those mainstays where it's still on. I think it's based on the family values that we don't see in today's day and age. But, I mean, you really look at the stars that were on there before they were stars. I mean, you had, um, uh, what's her name from I Dream a Genie? Barbara Eden was Barbara on Eden. You had Don Rickles on there. You had the guy that played Barney on um, Don Knotts, the sure. Family. So it was, for me, that was, like I said, it's uh, just it's a, excuse me, yeah. it's just Americana, and it's kind of funny because, you know, when my kids were small, they'd hear the TV, and they'd hear that whistle, they'd kind of look at right. it, so like, Dad's got Andy Griffith on again. Yeah, yeah, thanks for calling. I think you're right. I think that's, you know, it's one of the things that it's a gentle sort of comedy, and I think there there's a place for that. A, a lot of the stuff nowadays is loud, and a lot of the stuff nowadays, and, and this this isn't, uh, hey, hey kids, get off my grass, but a, a lot of the stuff is, um, I, I don't know, it, it's it's sex themed, and, and and again, that 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 can be funny. I like that. This isn't a criticism, you know, but it's you know you you now it's sort of like everything's about, you know, who's going to hook up with who and that type of stuff. And there's a place for that. But that's not what Andy Griffith was all about. It was a show that was kind of gentle and it showed, you know, interesting characters and perhaps silly characters and stuff and just human interaction. And that's one of the reasons that I think that has a longevity that maybe, say, a, I don't know, Three's Company or something doesn't doesn't have as time goes on. Um, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Matt in Fond du Lac. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, got to be uh, married with children. <laughs> with with um, uh, Katie Seagal uh, as uh, Ed, Ed Bundy and, uh, right, Ed Bundy and Peg Bundy. That was it, right? Yep, what Ed did you... Bundy and Al Bundy, yep. Okay, well, that that you know, it's interesting, Matt, that we're just talking about Andy Griffith. I would say "Married with Children" was probably about as far away from Andy Griffith as you could get. I would imagine. Yeah, it's, yeah I agree uh, on that. 
Yeah, no, thanks, Nicole. Was, you know, I mean, that was, that was um, you know, Fox's, that was their first big comedy that they came out with. And, I mean, it was the, it was the ultimate, Married with Children's kind of the ultimate with lowbrow humor. Um, I used to watch it because I, I remember I'd watch it and I'd go, my gosh, I can't believe that they just did that. Now, um, yeah, and then you'd say, yes, they, they in fact did. And, and sometimes it was really funny and sometimes I think it missed the mark. I'm not sure how that's held up over time. You know, you know, another, inter- you know, we've been talking about like sitcoms, but can't forget The Simpsons. Um, it's been on forever. Now, I understand that that's a cartoon, um, but still, I mean, The Simpsons, uh, very, very good. Uh, South Park, um, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but, you know, I I do from time to time watch South Park. To me, South Park is, again, another one of these shows that's real hit or miss. Um, When it's on, it's spot on, and it's really, really funny. And when it's not, it misses the mark in a big way. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm just about out of time. Let me go through the list. It's a lot of the uh, older sitcoms. The Honeymooners with uh, Jackie Gleason, that was great. Um, all in the family, yeah. I mean, that was a revolutionary. That was a revolutionary show. Again, I'm not sure how well that still holds up. But back when that debuted in the early 1970s, nobody had seen anything like that, and it revolutionized TV. No question about it. Leave it to Beaver. I like that. That's in the same vein, of course, as. Um, the, the Andy Griffith Show, Katie was going to say The Golden Girls, lots of great stuff that's out there, and a lot of great stuff on nowadays. Bottom line is, we always like to laugh. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, John McCure, Melissa Barkley, they're out here at VMP Healthcare and Community Living. They're going to take over with our Kids to Kids Christmas Drive in just a moment. It's 2.54. We'll come back find out what they have on their minds.